has happened in the last year because I had the privilege of um, being involved in this service exactly a year ago. And I thought about what's happened at Fivehead, how, as Mary prayed, you've been through rocky times, flood and fire and other things, and how in the wider world we've seen 12 months of militant Islam, of migrant crisis, of Russian warmongering, of things getting darker and darker in Iraq and in Syria. We've seen Brexit and all the potential perils as well as the potential blessings of that. And we've seen Trump the triumphant. And we don't know what to make of that at the moment. But I think one thing we probably all feel, the world certainly isn't a safer place than it was a year ago. And particularly if you think of resurgent Russia, it's probably a lot more dangerous. And, you know, I, I was thinking on that, and I knew you just finished looking at the seven churches and hadn't got a program laid down. So I just felt the Spirit saying it would be a good, a good thing to continue on the theme of uh, remembrance and reconciliation. I know most churches, many churches, do their act of remembrance and then move back again into whatever they were studying before. But I think it's good to hold the moment. And that's what I propose to do. So I ask you now, how do you feel about what we're doing this morning? How do you really feel about Remembrance Sunday, deep down, honestly? Because I'm, I always have very mixed feelings. And I thought I'd, I'd just start by sharing my, my personal experience. See, I was born actually three months before World War II broke out. I'm a pre-war babe. 39 was a good year for some things, but not for others. And, and my first year, five years, were lived out in North London, where it seemed that Hitler's Luftwaffe was doing their utmost to exterminate us and most of the neighborhood. We lived through air raids, bombs, fire bombs, doodlebugs, the famous... V, bomb, um, v, v rockets. We lived through starvation and rationing. My father was away. We didn't know where he was. He was serving with the army. He was away for five years. When he came back, he was a stranger. And actually, my parents never managed to get it together again. They divorced about two years after the war ended. In that narrow two-year slot, there was... There was some joy, because I remember vividly VE Day, that's Victory in Europe Day, enormous crowds in central London. We were taken there. And everyone was so full of joy. The war wasn't over in, in the Far East, but we knew it was ending. And they all said to us kids, it'll never happen again. We'll make sure, we promise you, it won't happen again. I remember Christmas 1946. My father by now was established as a GP in Torquay. And he invited two German prisoners of war back for Christmas dinner. I'll never forget these tall, gaunt young men in their German fatigues. Standing around the piano while my mother played. And they sang Heilige Nacht, Stille Nacht wasn't a dry eye in the room. 
And I remember thinking, how extraordinary. I was only six. But these men and what they stood for spent five years trying to kill us. Now we're around a piano. It's going to be okay. But of course, reality is it wasn't. If you count from 1946 onwards, we had Cold War for 40 years. And those of you who remember the Cold War can remember Europe in two armed camps with a constant fear of both conventional and nuclear warfare. For us civilians, it meant nuclear shelters, uh, all kinds of early warning systems. It was very real if you lived in the towns. As a schoolboy, I, I joined the CCF, the Combined Cadet. We took it very seriously. When I became a student, I joined the Territorial Army. Took it seriously. Later on, I served 16 years in the Royal Air Force as a medical officer. And we were trained in nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare. Not how to perpetrate it, but how to try and defend ourselves and our comrades against it. I had a war posting. The moment the Russians broke out and broke into Germany, I had to go to my war posting. It was actually in Bavaria, which wasn't, uh, wasn't a very comforting thought. And against all that, as if that weren't enough, we had 30 years of murder and mayhem in Northern Ireland, overspilling into the mainland. <coughs> and if that were not enough, do you know that since 1946 we've had over two dozen wars, emergencies, peacekeeping operations, call them what you will, that British forces have bled and died in. We've forgotten most of the names. The Dofar Emergency, the Mau Mau, Sierra Leone, Nigeria as well as all the better-known ones, Kosovo, Bosnia, Afghan, Iraq, it goes on and on. And you know, we've become hardened to things, haven't we? Things on television, things in the newspapers, coffins draped in the Union Jack, limbless soldiers, bold, courageous paraplegics. And still it goes on. I'm told that British forces are stationed in over 60 countries in the world at the moment, we don't know about much of it. I mean, they're not all fighting there, but they're there to protect us and our way of life. So this Remembrance Sunday reminds me that the world is as violent and as threatening as ever. And I'm sure it does the same for you. But, but with that, I don't think we can help having mixed feelings. And we've expressed some of them already, our deep gratitude, our, our feeling of gratitude to all the squaddies and the, and, and the pilots and, 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 and the crews, the Royal Navy crews. I think we, we feel for them the same we must have done for Spitfire pilots in 1944. You know, if it weren't for them, I might be Sprechen Sie Deutsch now. You might all be wearing Tyrolean shorts. Who knows what the world might have been like? For our today, they gave their tomorrows. And as an ex-serviceman, I really am affected by the, the patriot side of it, the queen and country, the, the cenotaph. Last night, Jackie and I watched an amazing 
Albert Hall service that goes on, you know, the, the um, service of remembrance. And, and, and I wear my poppy with pride. And I think as parents, we, we should teach our children and our grandchildren to do the same. Of course, it doesn't last that long. We put away the poppy, we tend to forget it, we move on. And deeper down, we're troubled by an infinitely greater truth. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say unto you, love your enemies and do good unto those who persecute you. And we know there's no war. There's no strife in the kingdom of heaven. God has already made peace with a fallen world. That's what our reading was about. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. As far as God is concerned, he's done everything possible. I believe that every time an IED explodes, every time a bullet is shot, the angels weep. Satan rejoices. Now that's not to say that sometimes, exceptionally, war is not necessary. I think, tragically, it is. When evil is so set on getting its way, it has to be confronted. I think fanatical Islam has to be confronted. But given that every war is a failure before it starts, I want to read you a short poem by Geoffrey Studdart Kennedy. Some of you will know the name and remember that he was um, an army chaplain in World War I. They called him Woodbine Willie because he was the one who always had packets of woodbines and he would give them to the soldiers as they were dying or he was giving them spiritual strength and uh, if, you've, if you've never read the poems of Woodbine Willie um, they're amazing this is just a short one it's titled Waste Waste of muscle Waste of brain Waste of patience Waste of pain Waste of manhood Waste of health Waste of beauty Waste of wealth Waste of blood Waste of tears, waste of youth's most precious years, waste of ways the saints have trod, waste of glory, waste of God, war. You know, I sometimes think that the ritual side of Remembrance Sunday has become counterproductive. Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And you may remember that's a very, very powerful verb. It means a deep lamentation, a deep regret. And I sometimes think what we should be doing is actually just sitting in a quiet room, looking at an image. It could be an image of war or a cross or whatever. And just mourning the fact that we cannot do without violence. 
that we cannot do without war. And how much that grieves the heart of God. And you know, I believe if we did that, that would actually spill out into our lives. If we really had that sense of mourning about violence, I wonder how that would change what we watch, what we read. You know, we have an entertainment industry that is based on violence. I won't elaborate the theme, but I, I feel very strongly. If you took murder and mayhem out of the television, I, I don't think TV would survive. Think on it. Now, friends, before us this morning, we've got two powerful images. One is the poppy. And what does it speak of? What does the poppy speak of to you? It's blood red, isn't it? It it speaks of a huge and costly and bloody sacrifice through the years. It's a symbol of sorrow and regret of what's been lost and cannot be regained. It's a very sad symbol because it constantly looks backwards. And I said even this week we can look backwards and think of the Tommies dying on the Somme in 1916. It's a sad symbol because it's inconclusive. And the hard fact is that these sacrifices are going to have to be repeated and repeated and repeated. Jesus ourself told us there won't be peace until he comes again. There'll be wars and the rumors of wars, even continuing up until the second coming. The poppy factories this year turned out 45 million poppies. And the poppy factories in Richmond and in Scotland are not going to fall silent. They'll be in full work until, praise God, Jesus comes again. And it's sad because actually it's divisive. I'm just going to speak a little bit of this in a minute, but when we think of the fallen, we think of our fallen, don't we? We never think of the other side much. We never think of the 8 million Germans that died or the 3 million Japanese that died in World War II. It's, it's partisan. And that's one reason why it is actually uh, deeply unpopular in some circles. You may remember they tried to get BBC newsreaders to stop wearing the poppy, because it was, this was last year, the year before, considered a symbol of imperialism and the old past. We don't want that. That's the poppy. The other great symbol we have this morning before us is the cross. It too speaks of a sacrifice. It speaks of measureless pain and suffering. But it speaks of it in triumph. Praise God. Because the cross, like the garden tomb, is empty. Hallelujah. He is not here. He is risen. Unlike countless graves of soldiers in Flanders. Jackie and I drove across uh, part of Flanders only last month. Between Dunkirk and visiting our family in Holland. And it's big flat country. 
It's artillery and tank country. It's made for warfare, if you think of it that way. If you've ever been there, the place is just, I was going to say littered with it. It's just studded with huge military cemeteries. A few years ago, Jackie and I took a group of young people to Verdun. And they're not just 16,000 graves on the hillside at Verdun. There's what they call the ossuary, which is a huge building which contains the bones of about 160,000 soldiers from both sides whom they were unable to put names to. Every military grave you ever see is filled. But Jesus' grave is empty. And the cross speaks of a victory which is conclusive. Hallelujah. His work is done. It never has to be repeated. When Jesus died, the ramparts of hell weren't just breached and taken. They were utterly destroyed. They were stamped down. They've gone. And yes, the battle goes on. But we know, don't we, we have a defeated enemy. Satan's in his death throw. Life is still a mess and tough. But we know that Jesus has won the victory for us and our future with him is assured. Hallelujah. And look, here's another thing. The cross speaks of a sacrifice not just made for one nation, for one people, for one cause, but for all men and women of all nations, all colors throughout all time. Let me just read you some words that you know to remind you. John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The entire world. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who has lived, who is living, and who will ever live. Jesus himself For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, whatever nation, whatever color, whatever race, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, even those Talibans and Al-Qaeda's and ISIL warriors, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then John the Divine For Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. (coughs) One died for all. And finally, from our reading, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, says the Apostle Paul. Though for a good person, some might possibly dare to die. That's a slightly complicated thought. I'm not going to try and unravel it, but it, it does mean we're a bit picky. I think I'd be a bit picky who I died for, wouldn't you? I wouldn't die for old Joe Blogs at the bus stop necessarily. I'd die for my children and my grandchildren, for my wife, for those nearest and dearest to me. But, you know, it, 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 it's not an, a natural thing to do, to sacrifice yourself that way.
I think we would be very choosy. And as for the enemy, forget it. Although, you know, it has happened in time of war. Particularly medical officers have protected and nurses have protected enemy wounded at the cost of their own lives. But normally, in a war, you'd hardly sacrifice yourself for the other side, would you? Because the other side's the enemy. They're the aggressors. They're the misguided. They're the ungodly. We forget those Germans. We forget those Japanese. We, We tend to glorify our own dead. We call them the glorious dead. Forgetting that they were sinful men and women like us. But the Bible says... You see, at just the right time, again from our reading, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I, I loved a word in that last song that we sang how did it go? Um, it, it was about those who cannot forgive. God gives them peace. And I, I was suddenly reminded in that moment, I'm going to close on this. Um, a few years ago, Jackie and I ran a, an alpha course in a church that we weren't actually members of, so we, we met a lot of people we didn't know and made various assumptions. And there was... One old boy there into his 80s and he was clearly very disturbed on the first night and the first night was already beginning to talk about forgiveness and no sooner had they joined the Alpha class and they withdrew. And I thought, well, quite entitled to that, just something prompted me to go and see them and he was very upset, didn't want to talk and his wife said, you don't understand if I told you what he'd been through in the last one, he cannot forgive the enemy. And this old man, now in the eve of his life, still lived in unforgiveness and hatred. Uh, so the words of that song, I thought, were beautiful. Because they talked about God bringing peace to that kind of torment. And you see, The cross is the only place in human history where complete opposites, positives and negatives, meet in such a fashion. Life and death, joy and sorrow, mercy and judgment, hope and despair, forgiveness and guilt, our guilt, healing and scars, our scars, freedom and bondage where they, they come together at that remarkable, unique moment in time and in that extraordinary transaction that Jesus did in the cross. There is a perfect resolution and it's not a victory using force and violence. It, it, it's a victory of love over violence. And in that moment, we see 
a victory won by the greatest power that the universe has ever seen. It's the power of love. That's the power that we have here as we open ourselves up to Lord God and let him fill us with that love. Death is swallowed up in victory. And the symbolism of the poppy, important though it is, precious though it is, fades in the infinitely greater glory of the cross. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering all the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life o'ertake me, hopes deceive and fears annoy, never shall the cross forsake me, lo, it glows with peace. And I think the one hymn that I've asked for is really the right one to sing now. Well, a special one to sing now is when I survey the wondrous cross.